0: Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, today we're going to be looking at the Christian virtue of diligence. And we're going to be uh, focusing especially on several passages in the book of Proverbs, which talk about this virtue and its opposite, laziness. But we're also going to be looking at some other passages, especially in the New Testament. We should recognize from the very beginning that this virtue of Diligence is related to certain other virtues as well. It's related, for example, to the virtue of contentment. And the question here is, if you are content with what you have, will you also be diligent in the work God has given you to do? You must have both, of course. Or if you are ambitious and diligent because of your ambition, will you be content in the state that God has placed you So those two virtues are closely related. Also closely related to the virtue of diligence is the virtue of generosity, and we'll see the connection between these two as we go uh, through some of the passages. Uh, Diligence in our work is partly for the purpose of generosity to the work of god in the world to the work of supporting the ministry of the gospel and to the work of caring for the poor let's begin uh, by looking at a definition first of the virtue of diligence diligence is the virtue of doing promptly and completely the work that god has given us to do for the maintenance of our households for the support of the ministry of the gospel, and for the care of the poor. That's how I would define it. Now there are three purposes then that this virtue of diligence has. The the basic idea is doing promptly and completely the work that God has given us to do, and three purposes associated with it. First of all, the care of our households. And we'll see this in the book of Proverbs. In fact, you can see this all over the book of Proverbs. There are many passages that talk about the care of the household. Not least among them is the um, part of chapter 31, which talks about the virtuous woman. The second is the care, as the support of the ministry of the gospel. This is another purpose of um, diligence in our work. And Paul talks about this obligation to support the ministry of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says there that those who who preach the gospel have a right to earn a living from that preaching of the gospel. And he gives various arguments there for it. And this implies, of course, that we who hear that preaching of the gospel have the obligation then to support those who are preaching the gospel to us. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the Apostle Paul, again, talks about the necessity of working in order to care for the poor. There's a series of exhortations there in that uh, passage, but in verse 28 he says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So he combines a number of different ideas there. First of all, not stealing. That's, of course, uh, related directly to the uh, Ten Commandments. Let him who stole steal no longer. Secondly, the idea of labor. Let him labor, working with his hands what is good. That is, working in labor that is approved by God and working in an approved manner uh, according to the commandment of God. And finally, also the purpose to give to some to give to him who has need. So that's the virtue of diligence. And if we define diligence in that way, then we can also, I think, define laziness perhaps a little more broadly than we would normally conceive of it. Laziness is the vice of devoting ourselves to efforts that keep us from the prompt fulfillment of our obligations, uh, Proverbs tends to uh, uh, describe laziness in terms of sleep. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep—so shall your poverty come, as one who travels, and your want as an armed man. Uh, but it's possible, I think, to uh, conceive of a laziness that's very active very active, for example, in doing what is frivolous or unproductive. Perhaps there's someone who uh, dislikes working and devotes his time, for example, to sports. And he doesn't take care of his household. He doesn't take care of his obligations because he's so engaged in uh, various sports activities. Or you can even conceive, I think, of a laziness Uh, that is doing uh, uh, valuable work, but work nevertheless that keeps us from fulfilling our obligations to support our families, to support the ministry of the gospel, and to care for the poor. For example, have, have you ever decided to do some job, that may be a job around the house, because there's another more pressing job, more important job, that you really won't, don't want to do right now. That's a, a, a way of being lazy, I think. We have a, a pressing obligation, but we're not very interested in fulfilling that obligation. And so we uh, excuse ourselves from it by doing other work that is not uh, important or not even necessary at this time. So laziness is the vice of devoting ourselves to efforts that keep us from the fulfilling of our obligations. And we're going to be talking more about laziness as we get into some of the biblical passages. But let's look in the second place then at the biblical foundation for the virtue of diligence. And I think there are two, basically two foundations biblical foundations for this virtue the first is the fourth commandment which is remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work the fourth commandment therefore commands us to rest on the seventh day but it also commands us to work for six days and god created us from the beginning for work He gave as a gift rest, rest on the Sabbath day. And he gave, I think also from the beginning, rest in sleep. He did not create us with an inexhaustible capacity for work such as he himself has. And so he created us to need rest, to need rest at night and to need need rest once per week. But he gave us, as our business in the world, working. Our business is not sleeping. Our business is not play. Our business is not doing what we want to do. Our business is to work six days. You shall work. And this means of work, then, is the ordinary means by which we provide for ourselves and for our households. We work in order to support ourselves in the world to have enough food and clothing uh, and whatever else we need to support life in this world and to support those who belong to our households as well. Now, it's important to recognize in connection with that, that God does not always promise us that he will reward our work with the means to live. And so it may be that a Christian farmer who is very diligent in caring for his crops and in caring for his animals, loses uh, all or part of his harvest after much hard labor. This can happen. There, uh, the curse of God on Adam's labor means not only that he must work in the sweat of his brow, but means also that sometimes we work fruitlessly, that is, without being able to obtain from that work the fruits of our labor. That's a curse. I do, don't think it was true, as Adam was created, that he could work fruitlessly. But once he had fallen into sin and God had cursed his work, it was possible that he could work without gathering the fruits of work. So diligence then is founded on that fourth commandment, which reveals to us that God uh, created us to work. And of course, this was true for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When God uh, created them, he gave them the work of cultivating the garden before even they had fallen. And I believe it will be true also in heaven, that we have to work. Our work will no longer be cursed, our no work will no longer be joyless, as it sometimes can be here in this world, but there will be work for us to do. And this, the second foundation, then of the virtue of diligence is God's own work pattern of work and rest, as he reveals it to us in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He worked six days, and he rested the seventh day. And it's because of his own rest on the seventh day that he hallowed that seventh day for us also to rest in it. He therefore calls us in working and resting both to be imitating of him, to be imitating him. And this continues today. He is still today the working God. In John chapter 5, our Lord Jesus Christ says this. It's in verse 17. Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So God has been working uh, in his creation since the he created it. He has never ceased to work. He, in fact, combines work and rest into one in his own perfect and infinite being. And this will be the pattern, this must be, therefore, the pattern for our lives. We imitate God who created in six days, but who also continues to work and who calls us to work as well, to imitate him. Also to rest in imitation of him, especially on the Sabbath day. So I think those two uh, ideas are the foundation for the virtue of diligence. The third thing we want to consider in connection with this virtue of diligence is um, various passages in the scriptures that talk about it. And here we're going to begin with the book of Proverbs, And we're going to begin with Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. This is in the very first part of the book of Proverbs, the introductory nine chapters in which uh, Solomon has various essays, we we might say brief essays on on various subjects, um, perhaps most prominently on the subject of adultery but also on the subject of wisdom. And in this chapter, um, uh, four subjects, uh, becoming security in the first few verses of the chapter, uh, speaking perversely in uh, verses 12 to 19, and adultery in verses 20 and following. But in verses 6 to 11, he has a strong condemnation of laziness. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man." Solomon speaks very sharply and urgently to the lazy man, and he says, take the ant for your example, because the ant diligently makes provision for the future by its work. He calls the sluggard to awake from his sleep, and he warns the sluggard that poverty will come to him in the end if he does not rouse and begin to work. We have another uh, passage on Uh, diligence and laziness in Proverbs chapter 24 verses 30 to 34. And this is in a different section of the book. It's in a section which belongs to the sayings of the wise, beginning in chapter 22 verse 17 and going to the end of chapter 24. In chapter 24 verse verses 30 to 34 then at the end of the sayings of the wise you have these comments of Solomon I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding and there it was all overgrown with thorns its surface was covered with nettles its stone wall was broken down When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Notice there he he quotes from Proverbs chapter 6. Whoever this is, whether it's Solomon or some other wise man, perhaps from Solomon's time. Here again you have this um condemnation of laziness but not a direct condemnation rather it's an observation about the results of laziness and the result is that the property of the lazy man is neglected overgrown with thorns and nettles and its wall broken down he is on the way to ruining his property and ruining therefore also his source of income The lesson that is learned is that a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, when we should be working, will bring poverty upon us. There is another passage about diligence and laziness in Proverbs 26, verses 13 to 16. And this falls into the second grouping of solomon's proverbs in the book chapter 25 verse 1 talks about the proverbs of solomon that hezekiah's men copied out and this uh, section falls into those proverbs of solomon verses 13 to 16 the lazy man says there is a lion in the road a fierce lion is in the streets as a door turns on its hinges so does the lazy man on his bed The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. I think we see three things about the lazy man there. First of all, he can find all kinds of excuses, even sometimes silly and laughable excuses, to avoid his work. There is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. Well, yes, it was possible that a lion be in the road, but it would not prevent normally prevent people from going out to do their work. They would uh, instead go to take care of the lion, remove the obstacle from their getting to work. But the lazy man says, I can't go out of doors, the lion might get me. So that's first. He makes excuses to avoid doing his work. Secondly, you see his character, and we have a very vivid description of the lazy man's character here. He uh, turns on his bed like a door on its hinges, and I think that's very striking because what you see here is the lazy man uh, uh, lying on his bed, and he's so unwilling to exert himself that when he wants to turn from side to side, he can't even uh, sit up a little bit in bed to do it. He turns instead like a door on his hinges from one side to another. And we see him also depicted, his character also depicted in verse 15, where he buries his hand in the bowl and uh, it wearies him then to bring it back to his mouth. Now, both of these descriptions, I think, are somewhat uh, in the nature of hyperbole about the poor, uh, the lazy man. But nevertheless, they express the idea that the lazy man is not willing to exert himself, he wants inactivity. Or, as we noted earlier, he doesn't want to do the work that God has called him to do. And the final passage is in Deuteronomy, or, or Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 27. And this also is in that second grouping of Solomon's Proverbs. The other three passages we've looked at so far All have spoken primarily of laziness. This passage, however, speaks of diligence and the promise of God's favor and blessing on diligence. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, The lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. Now, we should note, first of all, that verse 23 in the Hebrew does not actually use the word diligence. It says simply, if you translate more literally, know thoroughly the state of your flocks. But certainly there is in the that know thoroughly the idea of diligence and attend to your herds. And it gives two reasons. First of all, riches do not take care of themselves. Riches have a way of disappearing. They take wings and fly away, as a later um, uh, verse in Proverbs says. Nor does a crown endure to all generations. They need, riches need your care, therefore. But the second reason is that, as we've noted before, that this is God's means, God's ordained means, for you to provide for your household. Verses 25 to 27. When you have done your work, then normally you can enjoy the fruits of that work. So those are the four main passages in Proverbs devoted to this subject of diligence and laziness. There are certain other passages, shorter in scope, just a verse or two in each case, and there are actually quite a number of these. I would say there are something like 10 other passages in Proverbs that talk about this virtue of diligence and the vice of laziness, but Let's look at just a few of them anyway, and I want to begin here with chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. We should really uh, begin, however, with verse 2, because there's a context for these verses. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. That is, when the time comes for God's judgment to fall. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. They will not deliver you from the judgment of God. Then in verse 3, The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. He cares for the righteous, and he, the Solomon says, will not allow them to starve. Now that's not meant to uh, drive us to the conclusion that any person here in the world who starves to death is unrighteous. We should not draw that conclusion. What it's meant to tell us is that normally, through our diligence, God does crown our labor with the fruits of that labor, give to us what we need. But it doesn't always happen that way in this cursed world. Sometimes our labor becomes fruitless. But he casts away the desire of the wicked. It also means, of course, that ultimately, whatever happens to the righteous in this world, God will preserve their lives and he will bring them to that glory that he has promised. But he will cast away the desire of the wicked. They will be frustrated in all their desires and all the wealth that they accumulate and enjoy here in this world will ultimately be taken away from them. Then the verse about, verses about diligence and laziness. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So he talks about the rewards of diligence and laziness here, but he relates yet here, in verse 5, especially to the son, his son. And remember that Solomon is, from the very beginning of this book, talking especially to his son. And I think myself that he's talking especially to that son who's going to inherit his throne. This is intended for all his sons, yes, and for his daughters as well, but it's especially intended for the one who will become king. And he's urging that son to be wise, not to be foolish. And part of his wisdom will be to be diligent in the work God gives him to do, not to be lazy. If he is a wise son, he gathers in summer. If he is a foolish son who causes shame, he sleeps in harvest. Another passage that I would like to look at is Uh, chapter 15, verse 19. And here we see what the world looks like, I think, both to the lazy and to the diligent. There we read, The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. And I think again here, Uh, What uh, Solomon is doing is he's describing what the world looks like to a lazy man. The lazy man looks at the world and he sees all kinds of obstacles to him accomplishing his purposes and doing the work that he's supposed to be doing. His, His way is hedged with thorns. And because his way is hedged with thorns, he refuses to get up and do his work. Or he finds some way to avoid doing his work. But the way of the upright is a highway because the way of the upright, and notice he contrasts the lazy with the upright here, not with the diligent. Diligence is in the fear of God, is uprightness, is according to the law of God. But the way of the upright is a highway because the the upright man, the diligent man, gets up and goes after the obstacles that are in his way. He clears the way of the obstacles and he makes for himself a way to accomplish the work God has given him to do. The next passage is Proverbs chapter 20 verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Two things there very quickly. Again we see his excuses. He will not plow because of winter. He says winter's here, but that doesn't prevent a man from doing his work. And and because he will not plow, he will beg during harvest and have nothing. Chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And here we want to notice particularly the contrast is between the diligent and the hasty rather than the diligent and the lazy. Hastiness is a form of laziness, cutting corners as we say. Diligence is doing promptly what God has given us to do, but not hastily what God has given us to do. The lazy man is the one who is hasty, who wants to get his work, whatever it is, finished as quickly as possible, if he's even going to do it at all. And finally, in that same chapter, verses 25 and 26, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. So the lazy man has desires. He wants things. He wants a comfortable life. He wants food. He he wants uh, to enjoy the good things of life. He may even want great wealth. Some do. But that desire kills him because he refuses to labor. He covets greedily all day long, without doing anything about it. But the righteous, and notice how the contrast comes out here. The righteous is very different. It doesn't say of the righteous man that he um, works and obtains wealth, but it says of the righteous man he gives and does not spare. That is, the righteous man has as his goal not just to support his household, but to be able to give and to give generously. That's part of being diligent. Let's turn then to some passages in the New Testament that also talk about this matter. First of all, Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has quite a long section on not Uh, seeking earthly wealth. He begins that section by saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he goes on in that passage to talk about working, but working without anxiety, working by uh, while we trust in God. Therefore I say to you, do not worry, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns though he doesn't say they don't work, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Here's an example of a creature of God that does not work. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So he gives us priority. Be diligent in the work that God has given to you to do. But two things don't be anxious about your clothing and about your food. God takes care of his own. And secondly, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, not the things of this world. We have another passage in John chapter 6, verse 27. And here again, I think Jesus is pointing us to priorities. This is spoken to the crowds whom he had fed the day before uh, from a few loaves and some fish, and who had then pursued him because they wanted him to provide more food and fish for them. And his exhortation to them is found then in verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Beginning with the last part of verse 10, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and I think the apostle means there, increase more and more in love, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. There you have the apostle explicitly commanding the Thessalonians to work. Work with your own hands. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. And he gives to them then uh, two motivations for this in verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. That is, if you're not working with your own hands, you are not walking properly toward those who are outside. And secondly, that you may lack nothing. This is the means by which God provides for us. The ordinary means, anyway, by which God provides for us. So this is a very important part of our calling here in the world, to work. And we should not, then, conclude that a person who needs to devote all his waking hours to his work here in the world and has no time for what we call ministry or witnessing, is a person who is failing in his obligations. This is a primary calling. Work. You must work. That's what God has placed you in the world to do. And when you work diligently, then God is pleased with you. And the work doesn't have to be the work of ministry. It may be whatever honorable work God has given you to do, whether it's taking care of your children, or whether it's uh, digging ditches, or whether it's working in a factory, or writing computer programs, or whatever it may be. It does not matter. God calls you to work. And then finally, in the New Testament... 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 10 to 12. And again, we have laid down for us here some very important principles. Even when we were with you, Paul says, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Paul says, don't feed the lazy. Don't feed the lazy. It's an important biblical principle that the lazy should not be fed. They should not be allowed to batten on the public or to batten on fellow Christians or on the Christian church because they don't want to work. Don't feed them. And he also here then associates laziness with other sinful behavior, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Gossip, talebearing, going about from place to place, yak-yak-yak-yak-yaking, because one feels himself not obligated to work. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread, that is, uh, bread which they have earned by the labor of their own hands. A couple more things before we end. First of all, some examples of this. Diligence. Joseph is a very obvious example in the Bible. Joseph was a man who was sold into slavery by his brothers, but who did not sulk and pine while he was in slavery, but worked diligently for his master Potiphar until Potiphar unjustly threw him into prison. Daniel and his three friends were diligent, even though they were captives in the land of Babylon. They were diligent in doing the work which was assigned to them there in that place. Proverbs 31 is a very striking example. It describes the virtuous woman, and the, the uh, most powerful impression you get of that woman in Proverbs 31 is that she's working, she works, she's diligent. Jesus is a uh, Savior who works. In John chapter 9, verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me, While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The Apostle Paul is another example of diligent labor. He talks about how he spent himself in the cause of the gospel in a number of passages. Acts 20, verses 33 to 35. His one such passage Acts 20, verses 33 to 35. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember that, the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 11 and 12. The apostle says a lot about himself in that chapter, but he also says these words, To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Again, that chapter that talks about our obligation to support the preachers of the gospel. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? He says, we had a right to refrain from working. That is not to support our own ministry in the gospel by the uh, other labor that we did, but to earn a living from the preaching of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And Second Thessalonians 3, verses 8 and 9. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. It's also, I think, very striking that many of Jesus' parables in the Gospels are about working. Though the Gospel is full of the teaching that our salvation is by grace, Jesus never encourages us to passivity. The characters in his parables are doing things. There is a constant uh, insistence upon the necessity of working sowing, harvesting, working in the fields, taking the inheritance and using it well, contrary to the example of the prodigal son, looking for lost sheep and coins, buying fields, needing bread, and on and on and on in the parables it goes. Our Lord wants us to work. And finally then, the motivations for work. Negatively, Not because we covet riches. We are not to be coveting riches. Not because we are driven by anxiety. That would be a lack of trust in our Father in Heaven who provides for our needs. Not in order to earn our salvation. We can never earn salvation. That is a free gift of God. Our working is always in response to, a grateful response to, a salvation freely given. Positively, then, the motivations for diligence in our work are obedience. God commands us to work. Therefore, we obey. We fear God. We are wise. This is uh, important in studying Proverbs, in fact. As we look at those passages in Proverbs that talk about diligence and laziness, we must remember that the whole book of Proverbs is teaching us the fear of God. And is that the theme of the book? Is that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God? And so, when Solomon commands us to work and talks about diligence and laziness, underlying that whole idea is you must fear God, you must be wise. Fearing God and being wise means keeping his commandments. And means, in part, anyway, being diligent in the work he's given you to do. Positively, also, a motivation for work is love for God, that is, gratitude to him for what he has done for us and all the work he has put into our salvation. And a love for our neighbor. God has loved us, therefore we love others. Thirdly, a motivation for working is imitating God. He is the working God. And we, therefore, work to be like him. And finally, a motivation for working is stewardship. God has placed into our care certain earthly possessions and an earthly life. And it is our responsibility to care for that earthly life, those earthly possessions, and our earthly households. All to the glory of the God of our salvation. May God bless you with his word.